the second she starts tracking a ball, it looks like she's a hawk and she's just like <laughs> crouched over, like sneaking around. And it's like, all right, well, that's something I want to need to address at some point. And started getting ideas in my head of like, Hey, we're going to start doing sprint training. Like, cool. We got a couple reps. We're like focused on it. And then maybe we're going to start a couple reps where now we're going to stare at a point off to the side, like diagonally in front of us. You're always going to track there, but we're going to run in a straight line and you're going to learn how to track while being in a good position. And the only thing that we're changing is the actual visual demand. You know, supplement fly tans at the beginning of practice. Then we have a much more open full field style practice where if there's anything coach wants to work on in a full field 11 on 11 environment she'll put it on those days and then we finish that with a pretty high intensity lift you know as soon as we're done tracking it i rank them send it in the group message like put it top to bottom color code it and like green to red you know whatever make it all pretty and send it to the girls and i'll you know i'll mark prs on there and you know they just get excited about it i was talking with tony about this last week actually that was Andrew Cormier and Joel Reinhardt. You're listening to the Just Fly Performance Podcast. Before we get to the show today, I wanted to mention a really cool item that is available now from our sponsor, SimplyFaster.com, in their store. That item is Exogen Premium Wearable Resistance. Exogen is a series of tight-fitting sleeves along with uniquely shaped fusiform weights that strap directly onto those sleeves. So what I mean is you can have shin sleeves, arm sleeves, shorts, and a vest, and you can strap these uniquely uh, fusiform-shaped weights, they're light in nature, 100, 200 grams, that strap on in a way that allows you not only to resist movement very specifically, but also add fine-tuned elements of rotation to that resistance. So this is the next level of wearable resistance. You may have heard this from back long ago on the show, Hank Kreienhoff talking about it, to recently Chris Corfis, sprint coach, talking about it. This is the next level in premium wearable resistance. I've used it myself. I love it. I love not only the way it feels and the way you feel form and technique change. It's like combining technique with power. And so often we just think about weighted vests as just pure force, pure downward gravity loaded resistance. This is the ultimate combination of technique with power, and it shows up in things like Chris Corfis being able to take time off an athlete's 10-meter fly by putting the sleeves just on one side of the body, an ipsilateral resistance. We're using the body's own systems, fine-tuning it, and that's what this does. It allows you as the coach or an athlete to create, explore, and fine-tune the way that the resistance is rotationally impacting the body. This is next level stuff, and I know you'll love it. So you can check that out in the Simply Faster store. Head on over to simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com, and get your exogen gear today. Welcome to another show. Speed training is always fun to talk about. In the context of track and field or running a 40 yard dash, it's a really simple skill, but we can get very complex in talking about how to improve it or the many facets that make up actually moving as fast as you can in a straight line. When we look at speed in the context of team sport, it actually gets even more complicated. We have not only athletes running fast in a straight line, but also running with different mechanics to get onto a ball or to mark a defender or to change directions or any of the many tasks that are called upon in a game situation. Not only this, but there's also often an interaction in uh, training and training volumes that switch back and forth between the team sport coach and the physical preparation coach, or perhaps even the uh, sports medicine and rehabilitation team. I always love learning and 
I think that there's so much to learn uh, in not only speed for track and field and linear running, but also uh, just in the context of how really intelligent coaches are utilizing progressive concepts in making athletes faster, not only just from pure linear speed, but also faster in a way that makes them more robust in the context of team sports. So for the show today, I'm really excited to have on Andrew Cormier and Joel Reinhardt. They're both sports performance coaches at the University of Massachusetts. Andrew works with men's lacrosse, women's soccer, and softball, and Joel works with football and women's lacrosse. Together, they also run the SprintJumpThrow.com website, as well as the Sprint Jump Throw Performance Podcast. For the show today, Andrew and Joel are going to talk about their model for speed training in the context of sports that uh, they've taken a lot of adaptations from Tony Holler. You may have heard Joel and Teaser talk about the rank, record, and publish ideas, and they get really good improvements in top-end velocity and Joel and Andrew really work hard to fill the buckets their athletes are not getting in the context of their workloads through actual team sport play, and also to reduce the unnecessary noise that athletes just don't need with everything else they have going on. In the show today, they're going to talk about the system, running technique, how they manage uh, workloads, how they incorporate the rank, record, and publish with team sports. They're also going to talk about visual field, perception, body language, and, and game speed development concepts. Finally, we will get in the weight room and talk a little bit on tempo and isometrics and how the uniqueness of the weight room fills the bucket that the athlete might not be getting everywhere else and how that can complement their speed-based training program for team sports. This was a really fun chat. These two coaches are young, but they are really doing great things. And it was great to sit down and have a chat with them. I'm sure you'll love this conversation. Let's get on to the show. Andrew, Joel, welcome to the show. It's awesome to have you guys here. And um, just start by telling us a little bit about yourselves. I know you guys have a podcast. I don't often ask this question, but I think since you guys work together, uh, give me a little background of you guys' history uh, in working together as coaches. Uh, we, we first met, we GA'd at Springfield College. I should say we both did the master's program at Springfield College. I GA'd at Springfield and AC GA'd at Amherst College while doing his classes at Springfield. And, uh, I mean, we went there and just, you know, we're always hanging out, talking shop, lifting together, you know, whatever. And then from there, I mean, I, I went to Nickel State. I was in Louisiana for two years, and he was kind of bouncing around in Minnesota and then Holy Cross in Massachusetts. And then um, when I got back up here at UMass in January of 19, uh, we had one of our other staff members leave in May of nine, or yeah, May of 19. And that position was, uh, you know, or the main team with that was men's lacrosse. And he was men's lacrosse at Holy Cross. And um, so I just, you know, went to our Shadid, our boss, and was like, hey, I got somebody for the men's lax position. Like, it's a no-brainer. And so then we were, he got over to UMass in July, July. Yeah, yeah, July. July of 19. And then we've just been kind of rolling since then and, you know, bouncing ideas off each other and stealing things and trying to. Push things forward. So. Yeah, and we started our podcast and website mostly just off the fact that we used to get dinner at the dining hall at a, on campus all the time, and we'd have great conversation. And we'd have Alex, who used to work with us there, and she'd be like, "Hey, you guys should like start something, just like share your guys' conversations." And that's basically all it came to was us just mm. sharing ideas. That was pretty much it. Yeah, I actually I didn't have this question planned, but I'm curious because I think about it myself. But like. If there, I know a lot of people have been, you know, doing more conversation and just talking, especially since COVID hit, and a lot of new podcasts as well. But if you would say, like, through being a podcasters, is there any like real big ideas that you've kind of gained through podcasting that has fundamentally made an impact on 
you're coaching or things you're doing or thinking about? Ooh. Sorry, I should have I should have had that one in the question list. I sprung <laughs> no, it on you because I if someone asked me that, I don't know, I'd be like, uh, let me um think for an hour and I'll come back. Yeah. To you. I don't know. I've enjoyed just like an overarching standpoint, like realizing like how, how valuable it is just like to seek out good conversation. Cause like we, you know, we have not monetized anything sprint jump throw at all. We have no plans to, it's just like, who do we want to talk to? Like we've had, we had Tony on twice, Nick on twice. Cause we were just like, we want to talk to them again. Like we weren't worried about like, Oh, we got to get this next name. I was like, Oh, let's, you know, I know you've done that. I mean, you've had Tito on a million times. It was just like, hey, these people are really smart. Why stop at one time? Like, let's just keep talking to them. Um, but it's also forced us to like, I don't know, be on our P's and Q's in terms of like, you know, it's all like you want to go into the, you want to feel prepared as a question asker and know enough about the other person's ideas where I can have a true conversation instead of just asking them to spill ideas. Um, and those have ended up being the best ones where, you know, like we come out of the gate with a question that shows, you know, not like, oh, how smart we are, but just like we've dived into your work enough where we showed a little forethought, I guess. And then just keep rolling with like, I don't know, good back and forth from there. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah. it's just a nice overall of like, okay, if, if, if we want to have good engaging conversation with these people, like it takes a little bit of work and, um, you know, that spills over into other things yeah i mean i know it's just helped me refine my thought process in general of hearing whoever it is that we're talking to and then what joel adds in and they maybe they expand on their idea i say something they expand on their idea i think just like having both of us involved with it being able to talk to one person has made it better because we have still pretty different approaches at first and i think those general ideas actually like open people up to say something that maybe they didn't even realize about how they thought about something. And it just like sparks thoughts in my head after we've even finished the podcast, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always enjoy, like I like, um, you know, one-on-one is the typical podcast style, but I always find there's a lot of different sparks and different angles of looking at things when you have more people on. So totally agree yeah. with that one. Uh, so let's dive into the, uh, our formal question list here. And I'm excited to ask you guys this one. I, I've talked to, coaches who have a very uh, speed-based approach. You guys, I know you guys have had Tony Haller on your podcast several times. I've had him on several times. I also uh, find a tempo training. I just had a podcast on tempo training and uh, more old school type, type uh, speed work, if you will. And so how have you guys integrated or imported a more speed-based or feed the cats-based model into your team sport preparation? I mean, I would say looking at for me, it was really just dependent on the sports that I had. Like when I was, when I had softball for me, I just really felt like there was no aerobic component at all. So I felt like basing their program purely off of just the highest output speed power training essentially was going to allow the most transfer, create the best adaptation specific to their sport. And I still look at that lens with a sport like soccer, but I mean, obviously I still use tempo with a sport like soccer, just based on the volumes of running they have to accumulate during a game, the aerobic component of their sport. Um, so I think for me, it was just really looking at the, how much is this sport purely just an output sport 
And then how much is it is like, do we need the aerobic component and the ability to handle some volume at lower speeds and everything like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know well, this is an idea that came up as we were even talking through it with Tony. Cause one of our things with Tony, we did like, you know, kind of feed the cat soccer talking through it. And we spilled a little over into lacrosse, but it was basically like feed the cats from a track perspective is one I guess feed the cats is like a philosophy. Tony obviously has it from a specific implementation standpoint. What you see is track and field, but you know, feed the cats, basketball, feed the cats, football, feed the cats, lacrosse are all slightly different. I I, mean, I look at it, especially with women's lacrosse, you know, our, some of our attackers and midfielders are getting 12,000 yards and a thousand high speed yards in a game. Like, you know, we're not just hitting a couple of fly tens and then, you know, doing some shooting and leaving. Like, um, but it's prioritizing the high speed components of the game and then fitting, like filling in the cracks elsewhere with some of those other, uh, it's like really taking care of the big rocks first and then um, taking care of the other stuff and making sure our priorities straight. I know that's one way I've helped like, our lacrosse staff has helped me and I've helped them going back and forth is like pushing each other to always ask ourselves like, okay, how can we, like if we're trying to build some sort of physical stimulus, we always go back to how can we build this while playing lacrosse? Cause it's like, Oh, do we need to hit some extra tempo at the end to build some volume? And there are still times a year where that's appropriate. And we do that. Um, and we build up, you know, we've gotten some 4,000 yard sessions in like, and it's not, you know, it's almost an hour straight of tempo. Mm -hmm. Like it's a fair amount of volume. Um, we do that, you know, maybe once or twice a week as we get towards a season when they're home. Um, but it's like prioritizing like the big rocks and asking ourselves like, Hey, do we need to be in decent, like aerobic shape to play this sport? Yes can we build that by like manipulating lacrosse environments? If we can do that, that's what we're going to do. Um, like we even, I, we had that recently where the head coach checked me because we had some girls, we had a game that was super close, so like, and basically played our starters the whole game and really none of our subs got in. So we were talking, we were talking about like maybe a top off session the next day for some of the girls who didn't play. And she was like, Oh, do you want to get them at the end? And I was like, yeah, I could do a little bit. And then she was like, wait, why don't I just put them in a, like four, it's eight girls. Why don't we just play four V four and we'll play with the work to rest. And I'm like, oh yeah, like that's a much better idea. Like, what am I talking about? Um, so it's it, the specific implementation based off the sport varies. Like AC said, like softball is way different than lacrosse or soccer, but it's more like the, the lens through which you view things of like, the game winning outputs are the top priority and we'll worry about being able to repeat them. You know, it's not last on the priority list, but it's, it's lower down and we can do it relatively easily if we just manipulate, you know, practice environments. Yeah. I was, I like the manipulating practice environments. I mean, it makes me think I'm, I like the idea of submaximal tempo running just from uh, being my track coach hat. Like I, I liked it for jumpers, elastic athletes, like different rhythmic running formats within reason. I felt like have had a positive impact on myself and then a lot of athletes I've worked with. And I know it's not necessarily for everybody, but, um, but then it's like team sports. Okay. Well, I mean like 
for me, when I was in basketball or the track athletes I've worked with who have been basketball players who rolled off the basketball court and could high jump, you know, 6'10 right away, like they're getting it through playing. It's not, and they're probably getting it and then some because they're, they're running and then they're doing some jumps and cuts and then they're running again. It's more dynamic and they're not, it's not even processing as running to them. It's not processing as this thing I don't necessarily want to do if you don't like to do that kind of thing. And Mm so I like that. I mean, my choice and even as I've evolved my tempo stuff over the years, I would like, if I am doing it, I remember I uh, was having a workout with a college uh, basketball strength coach once where we were just working out together and we do 200s, but every 40, I just turn around and go backwards for 10 as fast as I could, then turn around and go the other way. And like Derek and Hanson, Derek Hanson was recently talking about that, like same thing, you could throw a med ball, but he, the other coach loved that. He's like, oh, I want to do this with the guys. Like just because it's, um, it's more dynamic. And so all this to say is I like the idea of, isn't it more natural and organic and just like who we are as humans to just fill that bucket with what we do normally and not throw a bunch of other stuff in? And so uh, if I mean, I guess if you were doing other running, I mean, it would just be in periods where they weren't like practicing at all. Right. Like that would be the as you guys see it, that would be the only time for like true tempo. Like, let's go and do some new repeat hundreds type stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, for me, if they're not on campus or it's a situation where they're like rarely ever practicing. I'll actually throw um, something like Brandon Wick and I've been playing around with a lot is just throwing them at like extensive circuits of skips, shuffles, gallops, bunch of different like tradi- like untraditional speed power, pairing that with any of like what people are utilizing for contact prep with all the bare position drills and um, crab and even core work, utilizing that in an extensive circuit and the fact of like figuring out the distances and the pace that you can move at to go for skip, gallop, shuffle, karaoke, whatever, infinity run, and pairing that with some sort of core-based exercise where we're getting the same, what would feel like bioenergetic demands from an aerobic standpoint as if we were doing extensive 100s with a core work, whatever, at the end, except now we're just throwing a bunch of different movements at them, especially from a sport like soccer that I mean, most of the time growing up, like whatever you're doing, if you're not playing soccer, you're going for just a long, boring run the whole time or doing something. So just like challenging them, throwing them new movements that way, at least in my opinion, like the most over-specialized athlete is probably a women's soccer player at this point in college. Yeah. I mean, women's across could probably make that case yeah. too, but um, they don't know how to do anything else except like play with the ball and run in a straight line. So challenging them and just like almost it creates a little bit more enjoyment for them too i know a lot of the girls thoroughly enjoyed trying to learn how to gallop and you know they laugh a little bit which is fine but you still get the stimulus that you want from the aerobic standpoint so throwing in things that are far away from the sport but that's when they're not near competition so for me that's fine to do and then adding in linear tempo for the obviously like higher speed aerobic based training Got it. Yeah, I, I mean, I like that. Uh, Chris Corfus said something about that way a long time ago. His his off season was basically these circuits where they do different like sprint drills or you know, boss drills or just different types of movements, and that was their that was their base. Was it's like we're gonna get a, a sweat going and get our aerobic system engaged, but it's gonna be all you have to be mindful. You have to be like there's a novelty that draws you into attention because if it's just running it's just like ah like you know you're kind of thinking about whatever or you or how much this sucks i mean hopefully yeah. not but you know i mean it's but i like i if I, I like the idea of when it, in a conditioning it's like 
we're here and we're present and we're now and you're really forcing them to think about something that might be novel or think about something in a new way. And I do like actually tempo running for that. Um, Derek Hansen on a recent podcast did talk about if we slow things down now, the technique can hit us differently. And I think that's good. And I think maybe that fits in the top speed too. But um, so you're saying those circuits, is that like an off season or is that when they're practicing? They're also, is that alongside practice? Like, can you explain the context again in case I missed that? For me, that's usually just during the off season. I got it. Um, if it's anything around preseason, it's usually we're just going to supplement linear extensive tempo because they're getting traditionally with how our soccer coach goes, they're getting more than enough from a small sided game situation. So I don't usually add in much like, very slow speed, a lot of change of direction type of moves. It's just, let's get you some exposure to top end postures. Sure. At least those are top end speed postures. Yeah. And that's, that's the approach we kind of take um, in the fall with lacrosse when we're in our like eight hour um, time blocks and they're not getting as much, they're not getting enough um, like lacrosse time where they're, really u- utilizing it as like uh from a tactical standpoint they're doing mostly just like technical work um both from like they're just coming off a of summer and they're not ready for like big tactical environment and competitive tactical environments uh, but then that naturally ends up being very small sided and you know lower speed so that's where we'll supplement linear um extensive tempo um just to you know looking at it through the the feed the cats lens it's the highest intensity low intensity stuff that Mm. we can do basically but we just trend towards that and um uh even i don't know just while he was explaining the kind of those multi-directional tempo type things um i was thinking about a, a thing that popped up for me i haven't used that as well as i should have and uh we'll use them more in the fall but even I forget when exactly it was, but you had a podcast with Bobby Stroop and he was talking about like being able to do karaoke moving forward yeah. and things like that. And it was like, I hadn't, and I went on his Twitter and found some videos of it and it was like, Oh, okay. This is kind of the same wavelength of like, it's enjoyable. You know, there's a little bit of giggling when they're like, mm-hmm. what's this gala? But yeah. then at the end, you know, you, you know, somebody's wearing a heart rate monitor. You're like, Oh, I was just at 140 for the last 40 minutes. And it's like, well, there you go. You know, like that's valuable. Um, and you're getting just, you know, the, the tissues are getting different exposures. I know kind of my first exposure to that thought process was, you know, kind of the Cal Deach, just kind of recovery runs of like, Hey, we're going to do this barefoot and throw it all in different directions. And that was more from just like a, I think he uses it more as just like, give a little bit of different stimulus on the tissues. Um, but then you can just manipulate, you know, distances and work the rest to get a pretty decent aerobic output. And, you know, moving inefficiently is a great way to jack your heart rate up. So <laughs> Galloping is not an easy way to move very quickly. I, no. I, I enjoy doing those. I mean, I'm 37. I've been training for 20, 25 years almost now on some, on some capacity. And, mm-hmm. I it's just to me it's like man you've been running for so long I'm just gonna do a workup that's mostly skips and gallops like I'll do that like I'll do a tempo workout that's like a, skip 150 meters as fast as you can then gallop 120 with your left foot in front gallop 120 with your right then go do a sprint and feel how it changed it and just keep doing that over like I that's where I've taken a lot of my um, circuits and and a lot of my work has that in it now just because i'm like with the soccer players too it's like you've been you played one sport your whole life 
you've run basically one way your whole life. You probably haven't run track in spikes on a track racing people. Um, you haven't done, you know, short, short court sports or, you know, like stuff like that. So you run one way and you haven't really been exposed to other methods and rhythms. So that's where I really love that stuff too. I think that's really cool. And yeah, with the Bobby Stroop stuff, I was just like right on, like I watched his presentation for TFC and then we talked about like the locomotion complexes. I'm like, yes, like this is it. And I have young kids and it's just fun to watch them crawl and then walk and then gallop and then run, and they haven't got skipping yet. My daughter's four. She doesn't know how to skip yet, but I mean, I'm not, like, sitting there, like, you know, pushing, like, all right, you haven't skipped yet. Come on. Like, but it's just cool to, like, almost regress, too, and just see what people can do and can't do. It's like ride the, you ride that curve from crawling up to running and then back down again, and we're, you know, how are we at all these things? These should be in our DNA, right? And it's not like yeah. you have to have a crawl 200 for time competition, but it's, uh, I don't know, I just have found so much benefit and value in treating things that way. Yeah. yeah. And I think when you look at sports, like, again, like you said, with the soccer, when you think about how many like yards and just like minutes and hours these girls have spent just running, mm-hmm. the last thing they want to do is like focus on like this little technical piece of them doing a linear tempo run. Yeah. They're like, listen, I've been doing this for long enough. I really, most of them probably don't care that much, to be honest with you. Like, how about we put them in, in some sort of environment with some sort of extensive drill that may have like yes. even the slightest bit of carryover that allows them to like feel something different yeah mm-hmm. one of my favorite memories from my early days with Darian bar was he finished a workout once with a squatty run 400 and oh. i was just like it was kind of a little like out of the like masochistic almost for me one like i was like all right i'll do it like and he didn't time us, but it was like, it was just one of those things like just cover the distance and don't die and keep your sternum up. Like, yeah. and I remember just lying on the ground after my glutes were like just completely done. But I'll tell you what, a week later, I set my all time like 10 meter fly, you know, since I've been using the free lap system. So basically since age, age 30 to 34, I, I ran the fastest. I never, mm-hmm. and I just felt so much like, I don't, again, just the way the technique can build. I think there's different values in the long versus the short and those types of things. But that was, um, that was a memory. <laughs> but then I, I like, I'll make my, like, like if I have a high jumper I'm working with and they're not doing some, I like to send them on like skip a 150 and do the, you know, think about what your arms are doing here, like to kind of fill in those gaps. Maybe they didn't get somewhere, stuff like that. I think just rhythmic long stuff where you can feel. It's good. And you don't even have to tell the kids. I'm like, because, yeah, I wouldn't imagine a group of soccer players. I actually, actually, I haven't really worked with soccer. But I can't imagine they'd be excited about focusing on technique for a, hey, go yeah. run these. And, hey, I want you to, you know, they're like, ah, okay. <laughs> That's probably going to be really rare. That And the, probably the kid who's most into the technique is probably going to struggle on the field or something, too. I would imagine, like, just to paralysis by analysis, right? So, I just yeah. think that's interesting. Uh Okay. Uh, I do. So let's get into the nuts and bolts of the, the speed-based stuff. So I mean, we talked about conditioning and tempo here and locomotion, but I mean, so you, you're you measuring, uh, maybe we can go by sport too, whatever sport you like to maybe draw as a illustration, but 10-meter flies, 30s, 40s, like what, what are these KPIs that you're trying to boost throughout the year? How long are you trying to boost them? And then at what point you're like, all right, we're just playing now. You know, how, how does that run throughout the year? Maybe just no specific sport as an example, but whatever you guys feel comfortable talking about. Yeah. So I guess we can start with women's lacrosse. We, um, since we're in season now and, you know, that started January 12th or 13th, something like that. Um, 
pretty much the entire spring semester we're in season and they get a lot of, you know, XLs, D cells, you know, they're, we have, we're lucky to have the catapult with them. So I'm able to see, you know, like a typical practice, we're getting 50 XLs and D cells, which is, you know, 3.5 meters per second squared and above, you know, which is like pretty solid. Sorry, it's 2.5. But like, pretty intense outputs from a XL D cell standpoint. So we in season with them, I only supplement um, fly tens and we, um, we now have, uh, we have the fusion sport system. We got that right at the end of the fall semester. Um, so um, timing that every week, we've had a couple, we had two weeks where we had three games. So I just didn't worry about it. Um, Cause from like an overall loading standpoint, um, basically the kind of the two main rules we follow is, you know, never expect our highest practice to come the day after an off day and then never have more than three high days in a seven, any seven day floating period. And that includes games, obviously. So um, there are a couple of weeks where we had three games and so we just didn't do it. Um, but we're typically it's off day, shake them out day. And then we plan to have, we, you know, supplement fly tens at the beginning of practice. Then we have a much more open full field style practice where if there's anything coach wants to work on in a full field, 11 on 11 environment, um, she'll put it on those days. And then we finish that with a pretty high intensity lift. Um, and then, you know, we just track it. I, you know, as soon as we're done tracking it, I rank them, send it in the group message, like, uh, you know, put it top to bottom, color code it and like green to red, you know, whatever, make it all pretty and send it to the girls and I'll, you know, I'll mark PRs on there. And, um, you know, they just get excited about it. I, I was talking with Tony about this last week, actually. And I was like the, the slight shift in language, even within the team, whereas opposed to girls asking, you know, the strength coach being like, how can I get in better shape? They're asking like, Oh, how can I get faster? Um, mm which, you know, in season, a lot of the answer is like, go to bed earlier. (laughs) um, But, and it's been a good, I originally started using it. I wanted to introduce it in season as a way. I mean, we would have introduced it earlier. We just got the timing system when we did. Um, But, and so we'll be able to extend that in the fall when we then have it um, in the off season. But it was almost as like a heat check. Like, hey, if we see 10 girls that are, you know, outside of, 92% 92% of their all-time best, like maybe we need to back off this week. Um, but it's, it's in, it's ended up being almost the opposite where it's been like, it's, um, you know, showing us that we're doing a good job of loading them and undulating how we're loading them and being smart throughout the weeks. Cause we've just been, I mean, continued to go up and up and up. Um, and maybe it's a little bit of an indictment of the, how much, they like doing low intensity stuff at home when they're home for, the <laughs> yes. week, for winter break. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, team average, we put a full mile an hour on the team max velocity for over 14 weeks in season with, you know, 14 games during that time. So it's, um, it's been nice, uh, you know, cause then they're invested in the data when I send it to them and they're like, Hey, coach, I saw a PR this week. That's awesome. Like I slept really well, you know, whatever. Or it's like, dang, like, I felt good this week. Like, why didn't I run fast? And then, you know, it just sparks another conversation or something like that. Um, you know, but then even it just seeps into like the, 
coach too, the coaching staff and how they view it. Because like, you know, head coach today was like, Hey, how do we run? Like, what do the girls look like? What are the, you know, was there any sort of drop off or anything like that? It's like, no, we're pretty good. Like, you know, so it's, uh, yeah. I mean, the specific implementation is timing fly tens once a week or once every seven to 10 days, but the, uh, overarching kind of philosophical shift that it has sparked has been pretty fun. I wanted to take a break from the show and briefly share with you the difference that performance herbalism can make for you. Several years ago, I had Logan Christopher, CEO of Lost Empire Herbs, on the show to talk about hypnosis and mental training for athletes. While talking to him, I realized he also had an herbalism company. So shortly thereafter, I used the Phoenix Formula, which was my first product I bought from them. I had great results with it, not only increasing my energy and decreasing my need for coffee and caffeine, but I also noticed that it was making an impact on my lifts and my weight room numbers. I was having a great training experience. Shortly thereafter, I also got into the shiliagit resin as well as other herbs. And I don't look at supplementation the same way. I'm a strong believer in what Logan and his company are doing in looking for a natural resource to boost human performance. If you want to check out the herbs that I use personally from Lost Empire Herbs, you can head to www.lostempireherbs.com slash justfly. There you can get 15% off your order and they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee. Definitely check them out. Let's get on back to the show. As a, as a, I guess, a, like a, a database point for uh, readiness, how do you feel like yeah. using that compares to other methods or systems? I mean, in the acute sense, it's, it's been like, from just a pure readiness standpoint, probably bad, um, <laughs> just because <laughs> they're, like, their numbers are just going up purely because yeah. they're... Detrained to, to train, yeah. Yeah, they're, we're, we're training. Um, so it's like, all right. But um, so maybe we would use something that's much more minute and would show us a little more uh, but for the most part we have happy healthy girls who are you know our coach was even telling us she's like i watched some film of the other teams we're gonna play and you see some girls with like ace bandages wrapped around their thigh because they've got groins and hips and blah 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 and you know we've got one girl with some mild shin splints right now and nobody else is even getting treatment for anything so it's just like that's another little indicator of like all right you know Readiness is pretty solid and, um, you know, they're usually laughing and joking when they come to practice. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, from a, from an objective data standpoint, it's ended up not working just cause they're, it was a new enough stimulus that they're just, they're getting better and better at it. But yeah, but you, so you guys, I mean, so basically like it's pretty solid that that top end speed bucket really should be getting ticked like in field sports. Yeah. Like that's yeah. something that you don't is not guaranteed, I guess, outside of just playing. Like you really want to get make sure you tick that bucket. Yeah, for sure. And they um and I'm not worried. We've we had this conversation too, where you know, there are some days where it ends up being uh, you know, like we did it today, um, and we play at two PM on Friday. And we did it at, you know, two PM today, so it's forty eight hours out from a game. But with female athletes, I'm not too worried about introducing more tone to the system um, yeah. we actually kind of train i want to introduce more tone to the system and more elasticity um just because you know naturally because of all the biological factors they kind of they trend towards um I, i'm completely blanking on the opposite of tone right now but um <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah um, exactly yeah but um detail yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 but um yeah, so I'm not, I haven't really worried too much about 
oh, you know, we're two days out or whatever. Like yeah. we just, you know, and we're not doing four or five of them. Like we warm up and I literally one attempt and then we're, we're done. Um, so yeah. Gotcha. So with the rank record and publish, I mean, it sounds like that's really changed that culture. Um, and I, I, so was, do you guys do you utilize that with other teams? Cause I mean, I know Tony with the track thing, I mean, that's been a big success and it sounds like it has been for your soccer program as well. Are you guys using that with other programs? Uh, and, and also is it with the speed or is there different metrics that you might use like a jump metric or what are your thoughts on some of the other programs? Yeah. I mean, we had just gotten those lasers, so I'm going to end up using that with soccer a mm-hmm. decent amount too but even with softball when i was taking them over during the fall when i had we didn't have the whole team around but basically we'd have a day on wednesdays the middle of the week i would time and tell the girls their time for we would actually do 30 yard just like top speed 30 yard sprint um instead of a 10 10 yard fly we do 30s and then if it was a day where we also were in the weight room we would do a jump map and we would do just like a giant circuit of different jumps, but they would always start back up at the top with jump map. And again, would record all their reps and then just tell them the best rank and everything like that. And I think I've definitely noticed with female athletes, I mean, giving them the actual numbers on pretty much anything, whether it's like speed power, even if it was like, if they did a running test and you tell them like whatever the correlation is with something, like, I feel like it allows them to want to buy into it more because I feel like they, at least with female athletes in my experience, tend to not try to cheat the test as much where guys will just find a way to improve yes. their sport no matter what the hell they're doing, <laughs> where the women are like, what do I need to do to now get better? So this improves instead of like, what little technique can I use to make sure that this thing reads it basically wrong? So it looks like I'm better than I am. Yeah. Uh, and I think just doing that consistently, especially for me during an off-season program, just because there's so much stress in season, and not that what Joel's doing is bad because he literally does one rep, but in a situation where it's off-season, I think it just provides them many checkpoints, especially if there's maybe something you do multiple different days a week. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, Monday we do a 20, Wednesday we do our jump, and then Friday we do something else, whatever it is. I think just giving different checkpoints throughout the week, multiple weeks in a row, it just builds momentum for the kids to actually want to show up to every session feeling pretty good, taking care of everything outside of the weight room and sport. So that way they can actually perform at their best. Cause especially if they know they're going to get ranked against their teammates. I think almost every division one athlete that's on a respectable program doesn't want to be first and then last. Yeah. I was actually going to ask you guys that. What do you think about, I mean, the slower kids when you're ranking them, and I do agree with the the female athletes in the sense that I remember the first time I threw a tendo or a bar speed monitor on the bar, the the girls, I mean, compared to the guys, I feel like the, the females actually had a bigger impact on. Like you saw the intention and everything actually really coming into that more respectively than throwing it on there for the guys. Um, yeah. But in terms of, I mean, if this isn't track and this is, because track, it's like, look, like if you're last, like this is the sport. If you're last, you're last, maybe do a different sport or, or you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Or just get better. But if yeah. it's a team sport and it's like, okay, you are last, but there's other things than, I mean, my, what I'm trying to say is, do you, do you think there could be a potential negative? To, I, know, I know you guys haven't been doing this for like super long, but this is just where my mind goes is like, what do you like, you know, block out like the bottom 10, like, so you don't know if you're dead last, <laughs> especially in the team sport, right? Like, what do you guys think? I mean, do you guys have any thoughts on that? Like people, or, or I don't know. I'm just curious, like uh, in that setting. For me, I mean, I think 
I, I, I think it's perfectly reasonable. Um, and I just, for me, it gives me better conversations with some of those athletes of like, Hey, you're not good compared to other people at this. You have other strong suits or also like, where were you at? Look at your individual score. Where yeah. were you at to improve? Like everyone else is also improving, but you're just naturally not one of the faster people. But as long as they're still improving, that's fine. And I also just think too, like, I guess for me, just the life side of things like, Hey, you're definitely not going to be one of the best people at something at any point in your life. So accept that fact now. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I think that's like just a good conversation to have, but I also just feel uh, for me, something I've worked on basically since I got to UMass is especially with soccer is working with the girls to set goals for themselves of like, Hey, create a physical goal for yourself, whether it's like, especially our season just finished, we'll be doing like end of season testing stuff with speed power. And it's like, we're going to use these. And it's like, Hey, based on this data, we're going to come up with a mutual goal for you to work towards. And that way, even if you're the worst person from like eccentric force production, essentially, if we're on the force plate, you can still work on that. Like that's not something that I'm going to rank you against. And no matter what, you're never going to play because you're, eccentric force production is bad it's this is where you need to work we need to improve this and this is what we need to do to do it and i think that just allows especially with female athletes a very targeted goal for them to work towards it helps them out a lot yeah definitely yeah definitely i it definitely would engage the conversation i like what you said too about just like you know you maybe you weren't very good but like you were here and now you're here you're getting better what do you yeah, guys, yeah. what do you guys think about like um that in context of change of track change of direction so maybe switching gears a little bit but what matters to you with that element of the work you guys are doing and how are you um assessing it or timing it or or i, I don't know if that um how does that filter in yeah i guess i've never uh, like with the lasers I haven't done anything yet that's change of direction um the majority of the change of direction that i use like i should say it's not necessarily change of direction it's building the physical qualities that go into change of direction is almost all I, at least women's lacrosse is a sport where we're they're touching their sticks and doing some sort of lacrosse the entire time that they're on campus with us you know that might be eight hours it might be 20 you know it might be a little more with me a little what they're doing some sort of high intensity lacrosse almost always so i in terms of like, hey, I've given this change of direction drill. I mean, I've been working with them for a year and a half, almost two years now, and I have not implemented a single one yet because we just, you know, manipulate practice environments. Yes. Um, but it's from a building the physical quality standpoint, we do a lot of, um, you know, multiplanar plot metrics. And then, um, and actually, the way I kind of targeted and like bucketed them this fall was stolen straight from uh, Jordan Nusma. He's one of the one of Nick DeMarco's assistants at Elon. Oh, cool. And his kind of eight-vector bucketing system of, um, and then having like, Which you know, street. yeah, I think that it might, it, yeah, it might be true um, from him. But, uh, Was it like but, the concentric circles where you're like, there's like three concentric circles and you're hopping like on one leg forward, 45 degrees, 90, back... Yeah, but it's even just like making sure we're hitting, you know, not necessarily all in one day or even in all week, but in, you know, over a couple week period, you know, hitting all these different, you know, okay, I got to, 
I got to skip in this plane. I got to bound in this other plane. I got to jump in this other plane and, you know, making sure we're touching the bases, you know, over a three to four week period. Um, so roundabout way to answer that question. No, I don't have any like change of direction, record, rank, publish type stuff now. Um, purely because, I mean, maybe we could start, you know, measuring, uh, you know, five, ten, five. Uh, yeah, five, ten, five, or even like some of the plot metrics we use, you know, a lateral, you know, just like a straight skater hop measuring that, or, you know, things like that. Um, but yeah, we, we utilize mostly plot metrics for the, the, um, what's it called? Like the physical aspect of change of direction. So, and that's stolen straight from Bushak Snyder. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So. I say for me, I don't, I haven't done a single close change direction drill yet with any of my teams. I just, again, I do strictly intensive plyometrics in multiple planes and then play your sport. And for me to just challenge, I think from a motor learning standpoint too, of just the slightly different start positions of just manipulating the direction, say it's a two point start for whatever acceleration we're doing. Same idea, almost as like the eight vector. It's like, hey, you're going to start facing in different directions, pushing off of different angles. So for me, it's still you're getting the overcoming that static position, getting out of that whatever angle to now have to run fast. So we're not getting the high speed eccentric that you would with a five ten five. But for me, it's getting them to push out of a certain angle. Still, for me, translates at least a little bit to the change of direction. Yeah, it, it makes what you guys are saying makes sense with the supportive nature of a sports performance coach. It's not since that bucket is already full or maybe even overflowing of change of directions from everything they're doing. Or and if you wanted to change the way they change directions too, manipulating the shape of the field and the the time and the space could probably do that a lot of times too. And so I like the idea of taking it on from a more um, ends oriented approach you're doing a 10 meter fly on that like super high velocity end and on the other end it's supportive the multi-directional slow you're, it's slower stuff like yes. plyos are slower compared to sprinting so it's like i'm slowing down i'm able to think and feel through some of these movements and yeah ever since Derek hansen said on the podcast that came up before this like uh, be it tempo sprinting or a sled pull it's slower than all, all out sprinting and Therefore, it's submaximal in in that categorization, I, and so I'm starting to think about even plyos from that too. Like it's all it's just slower. It's a different way of processing a movement that you're probably getting over and over and over again. But now I'm going to experience it in a different way by slowing it down and doing the planes. And I I love that that vector stuff. The the just the even just the hops, just hopping 90 degrees, 45, and going around the clock. It's so simple, but I love that. I, ever since I saw Bobby doing that, that's been one of the big things I've been doing pretty, pretty regularly and prescribing pretty regularly. I like, I like putting it in even French contrast. Like you do your lift, your jump, another lift, and then one leg vector hops, like, you know, and then for like 30 seconds, that, that long bracket on each leg and then come back. And that's been my jam. So it's cool to hear you guys are using that type of thing as well. Yeah. And something to work towards too. I mean, once, once kids get even moderately comfortable with those different directional starts from like a static position, that's easily something you can do of, Hey, you're going to hit a multi-directional plyo and then you're going to come out of that plyo and immediately go into your sprint. So now it's like, yeah, that's slightly faster than what we just did coming out of that static start. It's not just the plyo. Let's say you're putting it together. You still have to like have that good eccentric rate of force development. And now you're just getting right back out of it. So it's a little bit of a slower change of direction essentially. That's yeah. cool. I like that. Oh, Actually, sorry. Go ahead, 
finished our lacrosse warm-up yesterday with that. I saw AC playing around a little bit um, in his own workout where it was just like, you know, skater bound. I guess technically that's yeah, one foot to the other. So skater bound as far as you can. And then as soon as you hit, you know, it's rebound and then, you know, sprint out five the other way, you know, so we're, I ended up just straight up stealing that and, you know, progressing. We, we use the warm up as kind of a almost Derek Hansen microdosy type of, um, even on the days when we're not doing the fly tens. Um, but that's how we've progressed the, some of our plyometrics is instead of just like, Oh, we're going, you know, maybe it's rhythmic back and forth. Now it's like rhythmic into a sprint and maybe there's a decel in there somewhere, but, um, yeah, it's good because they, it puts them in positions where if they're not in good, like, you know, cause there's still some, even if you're like, Oh, all open type stuff, there are still physical attractors that go into changing direction. Well, and those still get exposed. Those get similarly exposed in multidirectional plyometrics. Yeah. Where if I'm poor at, you know, if I'm up too tall, I'm going to feel that when I do a skater bound as far as I can and then try to sprint the other way. Like I'm going to feel that, um, you know, that's where we're there as coaches kind of say, Hey, do you see why you didn't get out of that? Like, um, so it still provides an environment to work on some of the attractors or detractors that could be influencing their actual performance and, you know, provides them context in a slightly different situation. Cool. So you guys, I've, I've had, um, I've had a few people on the podcast talking about this. I've had kind of a pseudo debate on it on this podcast, but the idea of actually coaching change of direction technique, like actually doing a 505 or something and coaching it. Are you guys kind of outsourcing the the quote unquote coaching to the the drills, the plyos, the form, the plyos versus actually going through? I mean, like you said, you haven't done the COD drills in years. So I'm assuming it's kind of like, look, get better at these plyometrics, load the plyo more, and then that should filter over. Is that your you guys' mentality to it? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's, I think with the plyos, especially like introducing them early on, say it's like with a freshman or whatever, still an intensive plyo, it's forcing them to be aware of body position whenever it is that they're pushing off and landing. And for me, some of the cueing comes back to, hey, if you're changing direction on the field, are you going to stand straight up while you try to drop and change direction? And they go, no. I go, okay, well, then here's the time that we're going to work on that. And then you start to see it translate more and more into practice. Um, I saw that for sure with soccer. So that's why for me, it was early on, it was purely just watching them practice after we started doing stuff for a little while. And it's like, okay, these people look better. And even the ones who are very aware of themselves will even come back and be like, oh, I noticed that I do this a little bit more or I do this better, or I was doing this and now I changed it because my body position was so off when I was trying to whatever, make some sort of move. Yeah. And sometimes too, especially in a, you know, collegiate setting, when you get some, you know, hopefully it's not this way when they're, you know, been working with you for four years. Um, But you get an 18 year old, some of their, you know, some of the, the main limiter in all their change of direction is, you know, just like, physical tissue capacity. Um, so it's like they're, some of it is they're, they're utilizing the most efficient patterns for what their tissues are capable of doing. Um, so like, no, they're not going to get as egregious a shin angle when they're getting out of that, you know, complete 180 direction change 
because they physically can't do it. Um, and so you're, you know, that's where we're trying to identify those issues and build them up. However we see fit, whether it's, you know, more strength based or higher velocity based or whatever it may be for that specific athlete or sport. Um, but usually, especially in a relatively untrained environment or untrained, you know, population, it's a lot of it is like, Hey, we build up some of these physical capacities and then we, you know, they're playing their sport enough that they're getting to utilize those new physical capacities over and over and over. Like it's happening together. It's not like, Oh, we built it for four weeks. Now go play. It's, Oh, we're, we're slowly building as you're still playing every day. And then you can naturally just kind of, um, you know, some of it too comes from like a, you know, having good conversations with sport coaches of like, Oh, this girl is, you know, maybe a defender. And I was having trouble you know, like when somebody gave her a hard cut, like she was stuck in the mud, but now that's not happening anymore. Some of those subjective things coming from the coaching staff um, are helpful too. Um, Cause you know, we don't necessarily always understand every tactical or technical environment that they're looking for. Um, but yeah. So sometimes it's like your physical qualities are so far behind that just building those up, they then, you know, they're able to just kind of seamlessly fit into, and then you get into better, you know, better angles or form or whatever the, um, whatever the form for the change of direction or whatever that may be, um, can kind of naturally come from just, you know, building physical qualities and then your body lets you get into more extreme joint angles and yeah. things like that. I know for me, what probably helped the most, like tied everything together for me was having a red shirt soccer player on the woman's side. And it was very clear. She had never like trained before in her life. And literally like all we focused on was the most basic of like plyometric strength training. And it was like, even I got to the point where I had to explain it to her. I was like, Hey, all of this stuff that you're doing is purely coordination. We're just slowing you down a little bit based on like maybe the joint angle that you're starting at for this jump or like the weight that you're lifting. You obviously can't lift it as fast as you need to like, sprint so it's like you just got to learn to put yourself in the right position and then it gets way easier with repetition of us doing this and it was just like a ton of really like not hard volume of stuff and i remember like a month and a half later the coach was like whatever you're doing it's awesome and it was like we're, we're just working on the most basic stuff it's just teaching her how to move and it's slowing her down a little bit but still learning how to like stand up really fast or jump high whatever it is and it's like once that's tied in and if you communicate that to the entire team when you're working with them, I think it makes it so much easier for like, especially the woman's again, the woman's side to be like, Oh, this makes a lot of sense. I just got to put myself in the right position to do this. And then it'll be way better. Yeah. I, I definitely agree with the idea of the structure dictating the function. And I mean, I remember your stories make me think about, um, I, I have ones that always kind of pop out and there was a tennis player I was working with about, four years ago and the coaches were just like this guy you know, he's he's fast like linearly he's like powerful but he really has a hard time moving laterally on the court and i mean i what i knew back then was that he had like zero internal rotation so you watch those the tennis players in their ready position and they their knees are in and their feet are this triangle kind of they do their little hop and they form this kind of triangle and this guy had like very limited capacity right off the bat so it's like the only way that he's gonna 
that you have to somehow find a way to increase this guy's ability to get into you know somewhat of these positions if you're going to ask him to do this and he also did not like to get to squat down and now i realize with bill hartman stuff and talking to more of that crowd it's he had a hard time expanding his pelvic floor and so it's like and i would i would do some drills and movements kind of to help him feel those positions and then it's like and then i'd ask him to do a lateral movement and it was all better but there was not like I couldn't have coached him into that. It's like, I, you have to let the body achieve these things first. Like, you have to know what it feels like to level change. You have to know what it feels like to rotate internally or whatever if we are talking raw materials. Um, or you just have to have the ability to do that. It's not like I'm going to stretch someone's internal rotation to do it. But, like, even just level changing. Anyways, I totally agree with that. And um, I think just watching kids, too. You watch kids play. And I, I am a believer that as long as you get enough repetition and you have the physical capacity to level change and you're strong enough to hit the direction change, your body should be able to figure it out. And if it doesn't, it's probably a perceptual issue. Like if I'm strong, I can level change, I can rotate, and I'm still not doing it. It's got to be a probably more perceptual thing. So that, I mean, I don't know. I'm sure there is, I, I've, <laughs> the, the whole technique stuff, like I, I get it, but I don't know. I just haven't connected that yet. Maybe I still need to connect it. But that what I, I, I do like thinking of it that way. Can you level change? Can you do a skater bound? Can you absorb? Can you hit these positions? So makes sense to me. Uh, okay. So one thing uh, with the kind of on that technique train too, uh, I do want to talk about a little bit about how you guys look at, and Joel, I think you, I saw you posted this on Twitter or something, or maybe it was a different post somewhere else, but like the idea of running, how do you guys approach linear running technique and looking and looking at injury and looking at like game specific running versus off the ball, like between if it's soccer and it's running between, you know, plays or field hockey and you're running between things you have to do that are related to perception uh, how are you guys engaging with with running technique from a raw form, uh, and how you're looking at that and injuries and everything with that? I think similar to the the change of direction argument, it's like if you're like if you have like the physical capacity to you know get into these you know pretty shapes, you know, then there's a bandwidth for that. Um, if you if you can do that in a sterile environment, then and you can do your sports skills at a, a very high level as well. The the running form is going to change, you know, when an implement is there. Um, so I guess the the way I view it is like there are two skills. It is not like I don't try to view it as like oh like it's a physical output. And then how does that change when you introduce another skill? It's like, no, these are two, two skills. Linear sprinting is a skill. And then kicking a soccer ball is a skill. And if you can do both of those skills at a very, very high level, when you mix them, probably doing them at the same time, one of them is going to suffer a little bit, but if you're not very good at one of them to start, you're going to be even worse when you introduce another skill. So like viewing it from a skill development standpoint, as like in a sterile environment, like, you know, being able to hit pretty shapes in a sterile environment does not ensure that it transfers over, but it should, it's going to be at least some sort of a requisite um, because if you can't do it in that environment, you're definitely not going to do it in, when you introduce something else, um, you know, and that bandwidth and like typical issues you're going to see is going to be different. You know, like uh, the lacrosse girls are used to having an implement in front. So they have better pelvic mechanics in game than if I take the stick out of their hands. 
they end up actually being a little bit listed forward because they're used to having the implement in front of them, um, which they're getting better at as we kind of drilled a little bit more and more. But now that, you know, they're getting better in the sterile environment of having, you know, being more upright um, in a, you know, relative to what they were before. And then now we're seeing when we add the stick, they're in even better positions than they were before with the stick, um, which was kind of an interesting, that was a, a slap in the face for me the first time when I was like, oh, that makes sense. They're, you know, you do like PVC in front runs or whatever. It's like, that's what they're used to all the time. Yeah. And then when I took that away from them, it ended up looking worse. Um, but yeah, so I look at it from a, a skill development standpoint first is like, we're trying to do two skills at the same time. You got to be really good at both before you can mix them and be rolling with both. Um, but yeah, for soccer, I would say, I mean, it's the same idea of like, they need to have the skill without worrying about the ball for the opponent. They need the time to be able to focus on some of that and just be able to get into a good shape without any of the game demands. And Maybe most soccer players, if they're at this level, they're probably at least like pretty solid, technically skilled. I think if we notice that they actually look great when they're running in this like neutral environment with no other game demands, but then they get into a game and it looks like shit, there's probably a situation where they might need to work more actually on the perception side of things mm-hmm. in conjunction with the actual sprinting. Um, and for me, that just turns into, hey, we probably got to give them more exposure playing in bigger fields. I think that's usually what it ends up being for me. It's like, we need to provide them more opportunities to see the ball while they run. Because if not, like, hey, I can run linearly very well. And then once I have to look for a ball, I turn into like a turtle. Yeah. And there's like patch over. It's like, no, we're going to teach them, hey, the ball is out front. The only thing that's changing is where your eyes are going. You don't immediately have to change your posture because the ball is like 40 yards in front of you. And I think making them slightly aware of that and then drill it a couple of times. And again, it's like for me, soccer players are never going to be anywhere close to like beautiful runners for the most part. Um, but it's like learning or teaching them how to translate some of the raw skills that they're learning of just like general athleticism and how that translates onto the field. I remember I was watching a game with you the other day where we have, we have a freshman who's like pretty solid runner if we're doing just sprint related work. And then the second she starts tracking a ball, it looks like she's a hawk and she's just like <laughs> crouched over, like sneaking around. And it's like, all right, well, that's something I want to need to address at some point. And that may be something where, Hey, we start doing, started getting ideas in my head of like, Hey, we're going to start doing sprint training. Like, cool. We got a couple reps. We're like focused on it. And then maybe we're going to start a couple of reps where now we're going to stare at a point off to the side, like diagonally in front of us. You're always going to track there, but we're going to run in a straight line and you're going to learn how to track while being in a good position. And the only thing that we're changing is the actual visual demand. And I think those are just little pieces that you can start to add again, as long as the general raw skill is there. Yeah. And that can be the, I mean, the way he was explaining it kind of sparked something for me too, where it's like the, that can be the potential missing link in, I know a lot of big field sports are 
trended towards like, oh, we're going to get as much skill development as possible. We're doing a bunch of small sided. And then even if they're having the wherewithal to then supplement kind of whether it's, you know, max velocity sprinting or whatever, getting in more um, upright positions, if it's purely like, oh, we're going to get all this skill development in these small areas and then we're going to supplement elsewhere. Like, like he's saying, like you, you need to also have the full field, like that perception aspect of like, oh, that ball's 40 yards away. I can just normally sprint for the next 35 and then break down. You know, I think, I think the post you were referencing, I put up, I forget when it was sometime during quarantine, but it was, I saw a clip of killing Mbappe and him, you know, he just runs by like five dudes, you know, at like 24 miles an hour, whatever it was on grass. A bunch of those dudes are already in like, they're on defense. They're not even, they're 20 yards away from the ball and they're all like squatted. And it's like, you don't need to be in that position yet. Like, and so he, and he's just fully upright, falling ass. And then two or three yards before the ball breaks down. And even in his couple touches, if you freeze frame it and photoshopped out the ball, apart from his toe, you know, him being a little planar flex to approach the ball, it looked exactly the same as all his other strides. And so like his, like that example was like, he's letting the environment dictate how his form changes. And if the first 40 yards of that environment is just, I need to run faster than you, then that's going to look a little bit different in the last five when I need to break down and approach this ball. Yeah. It's going to look wildly different. You know, if I'm a midfielder who spends a lot more time in sort of those, I'm about to approach the ball environments, it's going to look different. Um, But if you get into the environment where it is just, I need to go that way faster than you for X yards, like, you need to be able to do that at a high level. Yeah, I love that. The ability to have options, like different strategies yeah. that you can employ at different times. And I think, yeah, we a lot of times we leave speed at speed. You ran X, Y, Z, here to here as fast as you could, great. But like the ability to fit the running strategy to meet the thing you need to do and have that robust variability, I'd imagine that would cause decreased injuries too because you like you have the right tool for the right time. And even with the injury thing, I was remembering Jeff Moyer, Last time he was on the podcast was saying the research was showing that there's a ton of injuries, especially, and I think female soccer might have been the research study, but because of perceptual issues, like it's not, it's a non-contact and it was something where, I don't know how they did the research to figure this out, or I don't remember exactly how we got to this, but I'll have to go back and check. But it basically alluded to the fact that it was a decision-making issue that put the the player in a bad position. And so that's where, Andrew, I love what you're like doing with the you know you're looking this way and running and it makes me think that cal Dietz had some stuff where like you have to i don't remember it was like you have to solve math problems where you do so it was like a yeah. cognitive overload you know what i'm talking about i should yeah, ask him neural perplexity stuff where it's like, like you're doing at the time i know i think he's doing that now with like his infinity run stuff but it was like you're doing an agility ladder like say it was an icky shuffle you have a tennis ball going around your back switching hands and then uh the only reason i know is because i interned for him uh, <laughs> like at the beginning of them going on the ladder he would you would say you're going to subtract three from whatever number i tell you so as they're going i'm yelling out nine four two and they would just have to say whatever the result was of minus three so they were doing math and i actually just like went back and saw that video because it came up on my recommended thing on youtube and he said that the reason they started doing that was because when they were doing like skate tests on their uh like skating treadmill the guys 
what was correlated most of the guys who went to the NHL was their ability to do math while they were skating. They were really? able to focus on another task while they're performing at a high level. Interesting. Yeah. I can yeah. actually really see that because I don't, I, I mean, for me, like I did track and basketball and I ended up being better at track. That's what I did in college. But I think one of the biggest things that got me, I, I just know everything that got me in basketball was up between my ears and be it. I think I didn't start playing early enough. I tried to mental kind of the game. I just shot around a ton and practiced on my own. And I didn't just have, I just didn't have some of those finer things to manage attention and everything that went with it properly. So I kind of, I don't know if I could put into words, but I understand that very, very much so that ability to manage that attention well, because I would just get confused in games. I could feel myself getting confused and overwhelmed with information multiple times as a basketball player, which that's why I ended up just throwing spears and jumping over bars without someone coming at you or having a decision to make. So I get it. I, lo- I like that stuff. Okay. One question left. Uh, we've gone a while. This has been great, man. Um, so meathead question uh i think joel asked you this on the simply faster the friday five we did but you guys can both answer because i i like this i've been thinking about it lately but just like how do you use tempo tempo in the weight room where are you guys at with it what do you do with it we've been talking speed the whole time so um yes that'll be the last one here uh yeah i, mean, I would say probably the biggest way that i end up actually using tempo in a weight room setting is um more from like a skill development standpoint um, especially early on in an off season, um, just, you know, overall increasing time under tension and helping them feel positions a little bit better. If we're in a, um, you know, if we're doing some big gross motor patterns, you know, whether it be a front squat or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but just helping, you know, kind of like, even if it's the exact same time under tension, or, but I'm doing, you know, just like, 10 normal concentric reps or, you know, with, they still has eccentric ISO, but just like not focused on it. Um, you know, I could do three reps where it's, you know, manipulating the time under tension so that it's identical to a typical, you know, 10, 12 rep set. But it's like we're saying with some of the other stuff, it's just slowed down. Um, so you're like, like if you are pausing at, you know, with your hands at your knees on a decently heavy trap bar and you're not in a good, you know, and you're trying to compensate, at, you know, for, you know, lack of hinge by just arching your low back, you're going to feel that when you're counting to five with your mm-hmm. hands at your, at your knees. And they go, man, that felt terrible. Like that lit up my low back. And then it provides like, oh, well here, like, you know, whereas that might get lost in a, you know, in a faster environment, well, you know, the faster environment being just straight conscience or reps. Um, so that's probably the way I use it the most. Um, and then one way I will start to push it a little more, especially with some of the older girls is, I mean, now that we do have the, uh, we have the Hawk and dynamics force plate, it's, you know, looking at, you know, peak relative breaking force and, you know, with most collegiate athletes, it's going to end up being, oh, you can, we're going to need to get better both isometrically and eccentrically. So we'll keep kind of, you know, pushing those in training. Um, but, you know, and being able to track that over time and finding ways to overload those components, even if it's not in like, uh, 
a typical, you know, people think like, oh, overloaded eccentrics or overloaded isometrics. They think about like deets and guys dropping into a yeah. hand supported scoots out with 600 pounds. But there are also other ways, which, you know, which is a tremendous stimulus. But like finding other ways where we can overload those environments, um, whether it be manual resistance, you know, like I know one way we started throwing in with women's lacrosse is, you know, we've been doing Nordics for a while. The girls are pretty solid. It's not just like a belly flop. Um, but then at the end of the set, you know, whether it's three reps, four reps, you know, all the way, basically you're on your elbows, basically on like a long plank position, but you, you know, your partner's still holding your feet. And then it's five to seven seconds of, I'm trying to curl my heels to my ass as hard as I can. And basically just ends up being an end range isometric, um, which is, you know, I get your partner's holding it down. So it ends up just being overcoming, but it's maximal, but it's not maximal in a typical you know it's not as taxing as, as some other maximal isometrics you would think about um but i guess yeah so some skill development and then trying to get getting a little more varied with it i guess there's one method that i just started using but i won't steal it because i stole it straight from ac so oh. I'll talk about it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah yeah go ahead Andrew. Uh, um I mean, for me, early on, like Joel, I just slow the kids down when they first come back just to reinforce, like, it gives, I even tell them, I was like, it's not that I don't want you to be able to push whatever intensity. It's like, it, I want to have the opportunity to be able to coach you. So for me, it's like, we'll probably control an eccentric and or an isometric early on, um, just purely to provide me the opportunity to to make sure they're in a good position. And then, I mean, I... I don't know a single time where I don't have a, a tempo on an exercise uh, if it's not a power-based exercise. Like if it's a med ball throw or a jump, mm -hmm. like you might throw a pause in there, but for the most part, you're ripping. Like I want you to have a lot of intent behind it. But for me, I just feel like a lot of the weight room-based movements are so, so general that if you're not allowing yourself to be in a good position, you're not taking the time to do that. Like you're probably just causing more harm than good. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just, I honestly force a lot of tempo and a lot of exercises and I just cater it to the time of the year and whether it's off season, eight hour block, off season, 20 hour block, like if it's 20 hour block for any of my field sports, I know you're getting a ton of eccentric stress from all of your change of direction and sprinting that you'll possibly do in practice. So I'm probably not throwing much more at you. And basically I've made, I don't even say this discovery. It sounds like I'm being an asshole, but just like this, <laughs> this, uh, idea with women's soccer of last year, like almost all of our work in season, I did the same thing this year is isometric based. Like we, well, we actually haven't even done much for overcoming isometrics with them yet. I do a lot of overcoming isometrics with men's across. Um, but we do a ton of just a lactic like seven to 10 second hold sets uh, for almost every single exercise that we do with uh, women's soccer. And for me, I just feel like if it's a high volume sport, again, that end range strength improves a lot up the chain, but also the natural effect of the isometrics provide some sort of like pain relief around major joints as well. And in sports where in reality, like soccer players don't get very deep into ranges of, of joints. I, being able to challenge them to get there and hold those positions. And I, I mean, I tell them they got to be pretty aggressive with weight. Um, 
like we'll do either like a blue a shoulders elevated glute bridge hold or split squat holds. And I tell them to like load it up and we're going to get our knee barely off the ground. You're going to hold a very good posture. And something I've also started playing around. It's like a back foot pressure split squat, kind of like what Pat Davidson talks about. Um, but getting them into that like back hip, good extension, but not lumbar extension. And then making sure that front side's very solid. And just, it's just a ton of repeat seven to 10 second sets on our very basic patterns. And I even this year took away, we used to do like a decent amount of like groin prehab stuff, like adductor, adductor strength stuff. To be honest with you, like I kind of just stopped doing it this semester. And it was just like, hey, we're going to hit more big pattern and range isometrics. And we still didn't have any nagging groins and hip flexors. So I was like, for me, I just, I was like, how much, Derek Hansen, how much noise can I remove from the shit that I'm doing Mm -hmm. and just give them the stuff that's going to continuously be trained over and over? Because at the end of the day, like we, I won't really get a ton of time to develop them. This year is going to be terrible because they actually played in the spring. They go home for the summer and they play again in the fall. But for me, it's like, how many of the basic patterns that I know I want to train long-term, can I get them a ton of exposure to? And then over time, we'll start to overload it more and more. And the girls, I'll give them a lot of credit. Like they actually took ownership of, hey, last week I know I did whatever, 35 pound dumbbells for this thing. I'm going to go up a little bit because it's the same amount of time. So teaching them the basics of progressive overload, but also <laughs> like it's not rocket science in my opinion on that side. Yeah. Um, and then it's not exactly tempo, but just looking at from my lens too, at closer to out of season, like if I want more, if it's an eight hour week and I want to provide more eccentric based stress, like, Hey, I also know that there's plyometric options that I can mm-hmm. utilize that will provide more eccentric based stress. So although it's not a six second eccentric, it's a very high force eccentric. So I think matching that along with the actual weight exercises is important as well. Yeah, I think if we had like a watt output of just a hard change of tra- direction an athlete did on the field and saw the force that goes through that, I think we might be less like, you know, have this like fist around, we need to produce force with all our lifts, max, you know, like, and I feel like the more you listen to Pat Davidson and all the people who learned from Bill Hartman as well as Bill himself, it's like the more you realize... I better slap some tempos on these lifts because I see people getting extended. I see the di- pelvic and you know diaphragm not lining up. I see compensations happening. And I mean, I, I learned the hard way by the time I was in 30, 31, my pelvis was so, is so, and it still is very anteriorly tilted from not doing. And actually the only time I personally slowed down and did those tempos was when I hurt my back when I was 26. And when I was done after six weeks, I jumped an inch PR on the just jump. Like it's like I finally lined everything up and let myself it's like you got to start thinking about not from just pure output, everything pure output. It's like there's got to be a time where you teach yourself how to descend your pelvic diaphragm and stay in position and teach yourself to yield. And your muscles are going to get – it's not like you're just going to be a slow twitch machine. It's everything. Everything's going to get better. You're already being explosive 95% of the other time, 99% of the other time. It's not like this 505 <laughs> squats. Like, yeah, I, I – seriously, like almost all my stuff – squats and all that like i'm working with a running group right now and we've just been doing 505s on squats for six seven weeks and i'm definitely not going to change it because it's like you have to look pretty darn good before we you know you got to earn the bar and your running is your thing so i was almost like cracking up actually while you guys are talking because i was thinking you something joel said reminded me of i um 
I used to do Jay Schrader's like I he he's got like a forty five second d- just slow extreme down like you're you're going from I actually think it's longer than that I think they do like two minutes or something crazy yeah. but I would do like sixty seconds and I was maybe I was being too experimental here because I don't think Jay did this I, he, it was usually like a split squat like an RFE split squat start at the top take a minute thirty to go to the bottom like it's extreme yielding. And I've yeah. had success with that personally and you know, people who need to be able to descend and level change, it can be good. But I remember I decided to do it with men's tennis one year with the hex bar deadlift. It said start at the top and then drop to the bottom for like 60, 70 seconds. And I had one guy and in hindsight, I know exactly what's going on here because he got about halfway down and it just looked like a, like having an epileptic seizure. Like his teammates were laughing at him. He's just like, like shaking all over the place with like, I don't know, 135, like, and in looking back, that guy could not descend his pelvic diaphragm at all. And I didn't read didn't, I didn't spend enough time with them, like heels elevated squatting on tempo and teach them to line it up and all that. Like I didn't, I wasn't there yet, but I was making them drop this thing. And that guy, I just, it's funny. Cause it makes sense to me now that his system couldn't control it. Cause nothing was expanding. And so it's just, the system just shook like a tree. I don't know. I don't, I don't do that one anymore, <laughs> but, um, I like I like the conversation. So yeah. uh, I was I had to hold myself back from laughing because I just that it doesn't happen to me often this podcast, but that picture kind of came to my head <laughs> of him like shaking and his teammate laughing at him. And I think I actually stopped doing that movement after a few weeks of that. But I like the split squat more. Um, anyways, uh, good great talk today. I mean, mostly speed, but I love the weight room stuff too at the end. And I, it's just really cool hearing how you guys are really decreasing the noise, like like from the. The, if you can get it done within the scope of changing practice or um, this, looking at what's actually happening and just filling in the gaps intelligently, I really love what you guys are doing. So thanks for hopping on the show today. Appreciate you guys being here. Yeah, we appreciate you guys having us. Yeah, thanks for going. That wraps up another show. Thanks for being here. If you enjoyed what we're doing, you can leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Stitcher, whatever you're listening to. We would really appreciate it. We will see you guys next week. Have a good one.